home. So this last week, you guys were reading through 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, going through the deeper reflection. If you have no idea what I'm talking about and you just walked in, that's okay. You're going to get to hear a little bit about what happened in those chapters today. If you didn't have time to do it, that's okay. We always say still come. If you did it last second last night, you have no clue, that's okay. You come, and every now and then one of us is going to get up here and have the chance to just kind of talk and share with what we learned through studying that portion of 1 Corinthians this semester. So as I was getting ready for this, something was really on my heart, and I wanted to start sharing with this today. Let's see if I can get all the things I need here. Okay. You know what? I'm going to borrow this one, too. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we're going to go back. This isn't this week's, but this was last week's, what we read. It said, Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And let me tell you, when you're getting ready to teach a passage, there's nothing like that to really humble you <laughs> and say, Paul, what he is saying here is he's saying, this is not about me getting up here and speaking eloquently or with lofty words trying to impress you. This is about me standing up here and pointing to Jesus. And if Paul can say that, then I just want to set that tone for all of us that get up here this, this semester or this year to teach and share with you that our heart in doing it is just stand up here and point to Jesus through what we learned in our last week's passage. So with that, I want to pray and then start on our passage for this week. Lord, I just pray today that the Spirit of God would work in our hearts through what we have to learn in 1 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4. I pray that you would move here in this room because of your Holy Spirit, not because of the words that I speak but because you are moving in our hearts. Help me to just stand up here and point to Jesus. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each of our lives. Amen. Have you ever moved to a new city or just visited a new big city and gotten completely lost driving through the streets? Yes. I have moved a lot. For those of you who know me, we've moved about every two years for the past I don't know, 12 years of my life. So we have moved a lot, and we've lived in a lot of different cities over the whole country. And there are cities, I'll tell you, that are not set up on a nice little grid with parallel straight streets that run north to south and east to west, and they're all you know, parallel streets. There are cities where there's a city center, and all the streets go in circles around them and change names. 
And there are streets that just suddenly curve and, and change. And there's towns that I've lived in where you have to like know miles ahead when you're going to get on the frontage road to be able to get on the freeway. It's not just a simple entrance or exit. So if you miss it, you're like five miles out of the way. I have lived in a lot of cities. And um, so I was actually really encouraged when I read that Charles Swindoll actually compares reading 1 Corinthians to being lost in a city with crazy streets. <laughs> so he says, he says that he moved from Texas to San Francisco. And if you've ever been to San Francisco, with probably have, he and his wife were lost trying to navigate the hills, the ups and downs, the name changes, the curves, the everything about that city it was very confusing to them until... He went up on top of a building one night for a party with his wife. And from that vantage point, he had a bird's eye view of the entire region around San Francisco. And when he did that, he says, all of a sudden, all the design of San Francisco made sense. Or at least it made a little more sense to him. He had a clearer picture when he could get up there and have a bird's eye view. He says, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth can be just as perplexing as a Texan's first drive through the streets of San Francisco. If one doesn't first take time for a bird's eye view of the whole and place it in its biblical historical context. Believe me, the twists and turns in the chapters and verses of 1 Corinthians can lose even the most skilled preachers and teachers. So I share this to say, if you found yourself confused at all last week or the week before when you were reading through 1 Corinthians, you're not alone. Take heart. Be encouraged by that, that it's okay if you felt like, wait, what, wait we were just talking about this, and now he's over here. I'm confused. It's okay. You're not alone. It is, can be a bit perplexing. But don't be discouraged because there is still so much that we can get out of this book. And as Katie said on week one, our um, goal this year at Nurture is to look at 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians next semester through the eyes of it being, through the lens of it being a guide to showing us the most excellent way. That's on the board back there. It's coming up later in 1 Corinthians that we are looking at this through the lens of living the most excellent way. So let's look at that through this lens as we study. Now, I think I'm kind of the first one to get to get up here and, and teach through this book. So even though we're in chapters 3 and 4, I'm going to take that bird's eye view here for a second, take a big step back, and start with some of the historical context of this book. So 1 Corinthians is a letter. So it's written as a letter by Paul. If you're not sure who Paul is, a quick story about him is that he was a, man, a Jewish man named Saul, who was persecuting the early believers in the days after Jesus' death and resurrection. So he was a persecutor of early Christians until he encountered Jesus. He had his own personal encounter with Jesus. Jesus changed his life, changed his name. He became Paul. And now the purpose of Paul's life is to go around this whole region sharing about Jesus teaching the gospel, teaching about who Jesus is, and setting up churches. 
So the church in Corinth is one of the churches that Paul set up. Now, I'm going to, you guys, if you know me, you know I love my maps. So I could not, ah, it sort of worked. Okay, it doesn't work on the light. I'm going to point over here. I don't know. Can I walk over here, Mallory? It's going to freak out. Okay, so Corinth, boom, is that one? Isthmus. If you saw where I just pointed. Okay, on this side, it's this. Oh, I can reach this one. Okay, this is Corinth, this little dot right here. So these arrows, if you see all the way on this side, in Syria at the top corner, where all the arrows are starting and returning to, that is Antioch. That's where Paul's home church base is. This first little loop is his first missionary journey, going around and, and, and sharing the gospel and starting churches. The second big loop is his second missionary journey. So Corinth is kind of like where he went to before he returned back to Antioch, where he started. And if you see Corinth, it is this little isthmus right here. It's actually pretty hard to see because it's so narrow. And it is between two bodies of land and between two areas of water, which made it a perfect port city. So it was very wealthy. It had great commerce. It was very diverse. It had a lot of religions existing side by side. It was also very corrupt and notoriously immoral at the time. So Paul arrives in Corinth and he meets Priscilla and Aquila, who were tent makers like Paul. That was Paul's profession, was he was a tent maker. So he stayed with Priscilla and Aquila. He discipled them and then he would preach in the synagogues to spread the gospel. He lived and spent one and a half years in Corinth, starting this church body. He was teaching, preaching, and trying to convince both Jews and Gentiles that Jesus was the Messiah. So from the beginning, the Corinthian church, the body of believers there, was made up of both Jews and Gentiles, or non-Jewish believers. Priscilla and Aquila, for example, were Jewish. A man named Titius Justus was a Gentile believer who actually hosted the first Corinthian church in his home. So after the year and a half that Paul spent in Corinth, he leaves Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila and travels. I'm going to do this one again because I can reach it better. To Ephesus, that next little spot. Can you guys see it over there? So he travels across that body of water to Ephesus. So he leaves the church in Corinth with Aquila, Priscilla, goes to Ephesus. And then from there, he leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. And he goes on to Caesarea, Jerusalem, and then his home church. While he is doing that, Priscilla and Aquila are in Ephesus, and their heart was still incredibly strong for the church in Corinth that they had left behind. In the meantime, a well-educated Jew named Apollos comes to Ephesus, meets Priscilla and Aquila, shares what he knows about Jesus, and they begin discipling him and just bringing him into more accurate truths about the gospel and who Jesus is. So they disciple Apollos in Ephesus and then send him back to Corinth. Now, while Apollos, are you with me still? Everyone? Okay, so it gets a little confusing. While Apollos is in Corinth, Paul returns to Ephesus. 
there that he begins writing some of these letters to the church in Corinth. This is around AD 53 to 55, so about three to five years from the point in time that he had first arrived in Corinth and started preaching about Jesus. So Corinth, as you remember, is a troubled city. The church in Corinth is also troubled. They have a lot of problems that are what Paul is addressing in this letter. Some of them are that they were a young church that didn't protect themselves from the decadent culture that was around them. They were true believers, but they weren't growing. They didn't let the Holy Spirit work in their lives. They didn't look much different from the world around them in Corinth. They had sexual immorality issues, immaturity issues. These immaturity issues led to divisions within their church, and they split into factions of identifying with certain leaders that they were following rather than saying that they followed Christ. The factions were that some would say they followed Paul, some Apollos, some Cephas, and some would say, I am of Christ. They were abusing spiritual gifts, struggling with jealousy, strife, and even dragging each other into court. So dragging other believers into um, public courts. So when I was reading those descriptions, my thought was, what if the Acts 2 description of the early church was actually written about the church in Corinth? What would it say? And I thought it might say something like, the believers had nothing in common. They argued and divided into factions, and they took each other to court. Now remember, they were true believers. They were followers of Christ, but they had a lot of growing up to do. So while Paul is in Ephesus, he receives two letters. One is from the house of Chloe, kind of describing some of these issues that they were having in the church in Corinth. And one, the other letter was um, posing a lot of questions, just kind of practical questions about how to run certain things in the church. He is going to address those, but that part is not in the section that we read for today or that I'm teaching on. So this part of where he's at in his letter is really addressing more some of these issues that Chloe's letter had brought up. So Paul's purpose in writing this at this time is to focus on healthy church life by addressing these problems and by calling believers onward in sanctification. Now that's just a big word that means calling them onward into becoming more like Christ, becoming more holy through the work of the Holy Spirit. So I don't know about you, but when I hear that description, I feel like I can kind of relate to some of those issues in that church. Pride, not protecting themselves from outside influences, immaturity, identifying with certain Christian leaders so strongly, not letting the Holy Spirit work in my life. These are problems that we still deal with today. So specifically now, let's get into what we read for this week, 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. Now again, because this is a letter, the chapter breaks sometimes don't matter. So I'm actually going to start a little bit ahead of chapter 3 at the end of chapter 2 because this has a letter's flow to it. So it's going to continue from here. So I'm starting at chapter 2, verse 14, and he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, 
and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So in this part of the letter, Paul is identifying three types of people here. He says there are natural people, spiritual people, and people of the flesh. Some Bible versions might say carnal people. That's the same thing as people of the flesh. The natural people he describes in verse 214 are those who have not yet accepted Christ. So they do not have the Holy Spirit and the things of God seem foolish to him. The spiritual people are those who are believers in Christ, who have the Holy Spirit, and who are growing. And the people of the flesh, people here, are believers in Christ. They have the Holy Spirit, yet they're not growing in spiritual maturity. And that is the type of person that he is addressing in the church in Corinth. Continuing on chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? All right, so from this description so far about the Corinthian church, Paul says he could not address them as spiritual. He addresses them as people of the flesh. He says they're infants in Christ, fed with milk, which is those easier-to-digest truths that we teach when we are new believers. He says they're not yet ready for solid foods, which are kind of these deeper Features, not different truths, but just going deeper into the things of God. He says they are rife with jealousy and strife. They're behaving only in a human way as opposed to a spirit-led way. People of the flesh are true believers, but they're operating as infants still in their faith. They have the Spirit of God, but they are not letting the Spirit work. Lives. So to illustrate this, I have a few more slides. Is it back up? Okay, thanks. All right, that is an adorable picture of my firstborn baby. I know. You can awe. He's really cute. So that is Asher. And I remember this day really, really clearly. He was my firstborn. My husband was gone all the time. He was in med school. So it was this like miraculous day where he was home. I was still on maternity leave, and we said, let's go for a walk. We lived in Louisville, Kentucky at the time. Crazy streets, remember? And we decided to go walk along the river. And it was kind of the first time we said, let's try to take the milk in a bottle and see if he'll drink the milk out of a bottle. And we were ridiculously excited, right? When he took the bottle to drink his milk. So we're walking along the river in Louisville and just with joy that this little, he was about two weeks old, baby, was drinking his milk. It was so exciting to us. 
Now, that is my firstborn child today. Still ridiculously cute. You can still awe. But he is 10 years old now. If you came to my house and my otherwise healthy 10-year-old son was only drinking milk out of a bottle, you would think something might be going on that was a little peculiar, right? Because he has grown from that first picture, right? He has needed further nutrients besides just milk out of a bottle to grow from that first picture to this 10-year-old boy. So in fact, he started needing solid foods. So he went from this to that. In two short years, this kid went from solely surviving on milk to on his second birthday, if you can't tell what that is, that is a full Chipotle bowl. <laughs> and he ate it all. Okay, my stories of Asher and food are pretty notorious. I could go on and on, but for lack of time, that's for another day. This kid can eat. Now, he, the point is that he developed an appetite for solid foods, and he developed the ability to eat them, digest them, and chew them over time. He needed, at this point, more than just milk to continue growing. But as odd as it would be to see the 10-year-old boy drinking out of a bottle, it would have been equally odd to see this two-week-old baby eating the Chipotle bowl, right? <laughs> He wasn't made for that yet. Now, these are analogies, and with all analogies, if we stretch them too thin, they're going to break. So that's not the full point. But the point that Paul is trying to make here, I think, is that we are supposed to grow. If we're followers of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, and we are supposed to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and to grow us. You see, Paul knew these believers that he was writing to. He had started the church. He had shared the gospel with them. He had been with them every day for a year and a half. He had taught them the truths of God, and now he's not physically in Corinth with them anymore, and he's getting these reports that are kind of less than pleasing about them. Remember back to week one for a second where Katie shared with us and explained that all of us in this room, we are all in a different place in our faith journey with God, and that is good. That is a good thing that is true and that is right. So please don't hear in what Paul is saying that we're supposed to be in exactly the same place exactly the same time. But what he is saying is that wherever we are, we are supposed to grow. So some of us here in this room, we might be here because we are curious about the things of God and we are wondering who Jesus is, and that is awesome. So you can be here and you can find out more. And some of us in this room might be newer followers of Christ, digesting these truths for the first time and needing that milk to take in the nutrients to learn these truths of God, and that is good. And others of us might be years into our walks with God, and digesting some of these deeper truths about our faith, the solid food, so to speak, 
and that is good. And still others, we might be in this room, and we are true believers and followers of Christ, but refusing to let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, just like the Corinthians that Paul's addressing. So I think the main point that Paul is making in this part is simply, oh, wherever you're at, grow. Let the Holy Spirit work and grow you. We all have areas where we need to kind of move from milk to solid food. So as we read on in chapter 3, we're going to learn a little bit more about some of these other issues. The people of the church were aligning themselves and identifying with certain leaders more than with Christ himself. So look with me at um, chapter 3, verse 4. And he says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. <clears throat> so you see, as we learn from our history, Paul and Apollos each played a part in beginning the church in Corinth. But Paul, what he's really trying to say here is that they were simply servants, and it was God who made the church grow. It was God who worked in the hearts of the believers. Only he can do it. So he's standing there and he's pointing to Jesus. To address this in the letter, he kind of uses three types of imagery next. He uses the imagery of planting, the imagery of building, and the imagery of a temple. So in verse 6 he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Then he uses the imagery of a building, and he says, with God's grace, he built the foundation of this church. Someone else is building upon it, and he calls them to use good materials to build. We are the workers, and we work in cooperation, not competition with each other, is the point he's making to them. So rather than them trying to divide and say, I am following this one and you are following this one, Paul is reminding them through these images, no, we're working on it together and it is all God who is doing the growing. Finally, Paul uses the image of a temple. And just to clarify, in this particular section of 1 Corinthians, the word he uses for temple is indicative of the most holy place where the spirit dwells. He's not this particular section to our individual bodies as temples. That comes a little bit later in 1 Corinthians. But in this section, he's describing the local church as a temple. This body of believers, not the building, but the body of believers as being the place where the most holy dwells, where the Spirit of God is. Paul is saying that you as the church body, Corinthians, are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Together, you represent God here on earth. So don't divide it into factions. Collectively, as the church body, we represent God. That is who we truly are. We go on to chapter 4, and I can't go through everything in chapter 4 just for lack of time today, but Paul says in chapter 4 that we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So just a little explanation there. A servant is someone who serves, but it's not really a unique position. A steward, on the other hand, was a unique position. It was a slave who owned nothing of their own, 
but we're given responsibility to handle the affairs of the master's house. So he's saying we're servants, but we're also stewards of God's message and God's work and God's ministry here on earth. That God, has, he is the owner of it, but he has entrusted it to us as the stewards who are taking care of it. When I read this section of Paul's letter, I get the overwhelming feeling of Paul as a parent. Now, Paul, as far as we know, was not an actual parent of physical children, but he was the parent of this body of believers. And it sounds to me like he is just writing this letter to them through the eyes of being their parent. So let's look at it through that lens. In fact, in verse chapter 4, verse 15, he says, I do not write these things to you to make you feel ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Oh. <laughs> I've totally done that before. It's okay. <laughs> In church, yeah. Um, <laughs> so when I read this, do you hear the love of Paul as the father of this church writing this letter to his children, addressing them as, I am your father and you are my beloved children. So when we read this whole section through that lens, it gives us a clear view of what he is in trying to get through to them. It's written by a loving parent to his children, calling them deeper into who they are meant to be. When I studied it, I was thinking of this analogy, so bear with me here with it through another analogy. Imagine for a moment that you're a parent who has a child who has grown up and gone off to college. Imagine that you spent about 18 years or so pouring yourself into teaching, guiding, and instructing this child, and now you've sent them off, and you're not physically present with them where they are right now. Now imagine that a few months in, you start to receive letters, maybe a letter from their roommate, a letter from a professor, a letter from the dean of the school, and these letters kind of indicate that your child is not making all the best decisions. They're not living according to who they are truly meant to be. Now imagine that you can't pick up the phone and call, that you can't shoot off an angry text in the middle of the night, but you have to sit down and thoughtfully write them a long letter. Wouldn't you want in that letter to lovingly remind them who they are, what their identity really is, and who they are meant to be? That is what Paul is doing in this letter to the Corinthians. There are times where he may seem firm or harsh, just like we might in our letter to our child, but the context is that of a loving father calling Christ's followers back to who they are meant to be. He urges them to know this is what your identity really is. 
They are spiritual people. These are just parts of their identity we get from this particular section. They are spiritual people, not people of the flesh. They have the Holy Spirit, and they can grow. They are followers of Christ, not of certain leaders. They are God's fellow workers. And as the church, body as a whole, they are God's temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. In chapter 4, he talks about them being fools for Christ's sake, not wise with the wisdom of the world. And they are servants of Christ and stewards of God's ministry and his message, caring for what belongs to God here on earth. I can almost feel Paul's emotions pouring out of this letter as if I was writing it to my own children. He's pleading with them. I've raised you. I love you. I thought you would have grown beyond being an infant by now. This is who you really are. This is who God made you to be. This is what he has called you to. Don't be caught up in pridefulness or arrogance, but be honest about who you are and where you're at. Be honest and grow. Let the Holy Spirit work to help you become who you are made to be. And you know what? Paul's letter to the Corinthians, it contains hope just as our letter to our children would, because he ends up saying that the Corinthians, they can have victory because of Jesus, and so can we. So we stand here and we point to Jesus, just as Paul did, and it is through him and because of him that we can live as spirit-filled and spirit-led people. So there's some questions to talk about in our table discussion time here next. There we go. So one question is, what is one area of your life that you want to grow in this year through your time here at Nurture? Would you like to learn more about who Jesus is? Would you like to surrender an area of sin to the Lord? Would you like to allow the Holy Spirit to work in an area of struggle in your life right now? Or is there something else? This is not an exhaustive list, but just what is one area that you want to let the Holy Spirit work in your life this year to grow you? And what part of your identity in Christ do you want to dig deeper into this year? knowing that you belong to Christ, that he is your foundation and you're his follower, that you are someone who has the Holy Spirit living in you. Do you want to dig deeper into what that means for you this year? That you are a fellow worker with God and a steward of his message. Or that you are a part of a body of believers and you represent God here on earth. Which part, or again, something not on this list, of your identity in Christ do you want to dig deeper into this year? So hear God's heart as he pleads with you today, a loving father to his children, 
saying, I love you, I've given you the Holy Spirit, and you can grow. And this is who you are. I'm going to pray, and then Jalise is going to come up and lead us through a time of worship through music. After that, we're going to break off into our table discussion groups in our various rooms and get to kind of talk through some more of this and our chapter and um, chapters that we read this week. After that, we'll be all done for today, but we do ask that you come back and just clean up your table if you can. Okay, so let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time today to be together with this body of believers, with other Christ followers. Wherever we are at here today, I pray that you would meet us, that your Holy Spirit would work in each of our individual lives to grow into an understanding of who we are in Christ and the ability that your Spirit has to grow us. I pray that you work today through your words. We love you, God. We thank you that you are a loving Father and that we get to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. If you guys want to go ahead and stand with me, um, you can just push your chairs in if you want. You can spread out. There's room in the back or on the sides or anywhere you want to go. This week, I was listening to um, a message, and he was talking about praise and worship, and it said he said, Um, Praise and worship is an expression of our hearts to remind our situation that there is one who is greater than our situation. No matter what situation we are going through in our hearts, the Lord is always working, even when we don't see it. So I just encourage you this morning as we're worshiping, let's just open our hearts to see what God has for us.